human beings, there's a few things that are somewhat universally true. Doesn't mean we don't find individuals, but one, we fear change. We don't love change. Um, and when we report back, we're asking people to change. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is where some of my business background really becomes useful and helpful is understanding change management understanding how to work and guide people through change hey it's breaking barriers the diversity equity inclusion and belonging podcast we're here for real talk we're not afraid to go there and we want you to come away emboldened and energized to take action and make change we believe our diversity our differences when joined together by a common set of ideals makes us stronger. When I set out to help someone, uh, it is my intention to do just that. I'm not trying to do anything other than meet somebody at their humanity. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome world to another episode of Broken Barriers, the DEIB podcast brought to you by our silver sponsor, Rise to Greatness. Thank you for your support. I am your co-host, Anthony Arrington, along with uh, Nick Ford. And who do we got? Joy Bristol. What's happening, Joy? What's up, Nick? We have a wonderful, wonderful show for you today. We uh, love to talk about people who do the work that we do as well. We love to hear from practitioners who have a, a perspective, maybe a unique perspective that we don't share. So we're excited today uh, for our wonderful guests. Uh, Nick, why don't you tell us who we got? Yeah, so we have Melanie Ryan up in the great Northwest, up in Seattle area. Uh, mm -hmm. Melanie has over 20 years experience in leadership, culture development, building equitable teams and facilitating individual growth. She shares a lot of the same uh, certifications, I believe, that we have. Uh, she's done a lot of stuff, uh, finance, and then into what we're doing now. We're going to talk about that some during the podcast. Um, and we're looking really excited uh, to hear about her take on things and how she does things up in the Pacific Northwest and, and how we can continue pushing forward. So thank you, Melanie, for joining us. And uh, welcome to the show. Let's get going. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. Uh, so my, my first question is, is – what is your why, Melanie? You know, you, uh, as I read your background, you know, you could be hanging out with a six figure job working at the top, 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 you know, the top 50 country. What do they call them? The, whatever the corporate top 50, whatever the corporate words they use today, but you could be just chilling, but you, you chose to walk away from that world. Why'd you do that? I did. I did. I, you're absolutely right. I, I could be doing that. I wasn't doing that. And not only did I walk away from that, but I, walked away from that in the middle of a global pandemic um, where, you know, my salary was secure, my health insurance was secure. Um, you know, my why is, you know, probably not a series. It's not a uh, aha moment, more of a series of moments over my, my life. Um, I was born, I think, with a natural sense of fairness and justice. I was born with a sense of wanting to serve and um, that looked different at different times of my life and it looked different as I became more educated and aware of the world around me and the difference um, of the world compared to my own personal and lived experience. Um, but kind of those core inherent pieces allowed me to explore and be curious about the world. Um, and some of those key moments, I would say, that kind of led me up to here were, uh, one, I was 19 years old, and um, I went to a, a small private liberal arts college, and we would do service trips, and we went to Mendenhall, Mississippi. Mm. Um, and Mendenhall, Mississippi had railroad tracks. Um, and Black people lived on one side of the tracks and white people lived on the other mm -hmm. side of the tracks. And this was probably 1990, maybe 91. And there were literally signs that said Black people couldn't allowed, be allowed in certain places. And um, there was an interracial couple who had to hide it because they literally feared for their life. And I was 19 years old. I didn't get, I, I was shocked. I had no idea, like I understood what we got taught in school, but had no idea that this level of racism still existed in America. Um, you know, another key moment of, of, you know, time, I remember going getting my master's of social work because yes, I, I got an accounting degree and had a finance career and decided to get a master's of social work. And the discussions that we were happening, happening and I remember a key time where came time for a graduation speaker and a gay man was chosen and there was a lot of tension in the cohort mm -hmm. that a black woman wasn't. And this tension between 
um, different aspects of our identity um, and things that maybe I hadn't fully thought through. Um, you know, I ended up adopting two children, um, one who is a biracial child um, who has a Mexican father and another daughter who they're now adults, she's 23, um, who is gay. And there's just so many pieces of life that intersected with who I was mm -hmm. um, that even in my professional career as a finance executive, when you go in the executive ladder, you're eventually kind of expected that you're kind of investing in things outside of your day-to-day -day job. And I always went to the people things. I always went to whether it was developing early career talent or whether it was DEI, whether it was coaching and mentoring. And I just got to the point where I realized I'm in the back third of my career. At this point, I got my coaching certification. I'd gotten, um, uh, it was really heavily involved in, in, had sponsored as an executive two DEI projects and groups within the company. And it was, I, want to spend the rest of my life involved in honoring the worth and value of people. Um, I'd already started my company, but I wasn't doing it full time. And um, it was time this to not be things that I did in parts of my life, but to be where I devoted the rest of my career um, into leaving this world a different place with the privilege and power I have than sure. where I it's a long answer. No, no, Sorry. this is the discussion. Oh, good. I'm good with right. that. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, so I'm curious. So so now that you're at where you're at now, you know, and you think about the work we do, what what at the end of the day when you're being a change agent, as we call it, or whatever, however mm -hmm. terms we want to mm -hmm. use. So I, I know we have some days where it's a time to drink a scotch day, and then we have the good days. What's a good day? What's a good day feel like for you? What's what's What, what makes that a good day in the work you do? Well, I'll give you a real life tangible story. So uh, not just professionally, but I do a lot of this work in my community as well. Um, and I give recently- a great nonprofit, I saw that. Yep. Uh, I have, I, I um, started a nonprofit called Beck's Place, but I also was the board president of Monroe Equity Communities, which was a community organization. Um, in a town where we have pretty much that down the middle of division um, and we experience a lot of racism, a lot of homophobia, a lot of anti-Semitism um, and um, two different instances I would point to that made it a good day. One, um, we had the first ever, we under my leadership, we delivered the first ever pride um, celebration that this town had ever had. Um, a lot of people said we couldn't do it, that there would be too much resistance. Um, and we just this year had our third annual. So we had the third and we were planning for the fourth. And um, but every single year, and this is also true, we do Juneteenth now and we do um, a belonging festival, which is kind of a how do we all come together to belong? Every single one of these without fail multiple people, multiple kids, multiple families say, thank you. This is the one day I feel safe in my town. This is the one day I feel like I belong in my town. And secondly, I would say is that during my work in the Monroe equity community, um, my job uh, was co-chair of our school district pillar. And we have had significant issues in our school district, significant issues of racism. And we had a superintendent that was abusing power and was abusing his staff. And there was a culture of fear. Um, and I led efforts to bring that, well, the board was aware of it, mm -hmm. but to bring it to the attention where it could no longer be ignored. And a very long story short, he ended uh, a third party investigator was hired um, the report that we brought to the board was validated. He ended up resigning. We are now at a point where we have a new superintendent who's doing a phenomenal job, and I think he's going to bring a lot of healing. Um, but once again, 
I had multiple people say, um, I can come to work and not be in fear. Um, I, I, I had lost hope. Um, so those things happen professionally too, mm -hmm. um, where someone will tell you that. And those are the good days that the days that feel like, um, God, can I keep doing this are because it's the systemic change, right? We're all working for the systemic change. Right. Um, and if that had happened, we wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't have to have the jobs we do. And that's yeah. tough. That's, that's why our vision is to work ourselves out of job. Exactly. So what you have to hold on to is when you make the individual impact. Mm -hmm. And when you say, when, when someone's life is now better than it was, um, you, you got to hold on to those days. Yes. Yes. Cause sometimes it's not a one scotch day. It's a two scotch day or a three scotch like day. Celebratory scotch days. I, you know, it's going to be a scotch day. It's just whether it's a celebratory or, or not so much. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so Melanie, what, what, what was, and I love that we, I'm a positive, I'm definitely a glass half full type of person. And so I, I love that, but I know um, when you first, like okay this is i've had it right like this is and not in a bad way but just i'm ready to be in my complete purpose and be in complete servitude of that purpose and to really make an impact on leaving this world better what was day one like after you made that decision right and then what were some of the barriers and hardships that also came along with that mm, yeah Joy, did you just ask me a stacked question as a coach? I, 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 I do that, but I, this is how we roll. We, we got it. You got another facilitator coach on the call here. Yeah, I, I always say them. that. And I say that because that's my Achilles heel, too, is a stacked question. Okay. So, what was day one like? Well, honestly, day one and two and three for a while was that. I gave myself permission not to go all in because 20 plus years of corporate America, I mean, corporate America, you know, just, there's so many things I got from that journey. So many things that make me good at my job now. And it absolutely wears you down to the bone. So there was a, you know, I was fortunate enough because I worked there that I did have a little bit of a cushion and I was able to say, I don't have to be going at full speed right away. So it was, but what that also allowed me to do that I've carried over now where I, you know, I'm working to kind of um, pick up the speed is that it allowed me to pick and choose. And it allowed me to say um, where I am one person and my team is, you know, now it's about 10 or 12 people. Um, but there's still only there's a there's a ceiling on how much time and energy and resources we have. So where are we going to put that where we believe we have the most impact? We don't take every client. It's not just client interviewing us. We interview clients and we've said no. Mm -hmm. We've said no to clients. We've been mid-project and, and said, please fire us because mm -hmm. um, you're not ready to do the work right now. And so that I would say was from the very beginning, that pause allowed me to really have clarity on something that is lasting you know, three years later. And then I think the second question you said, where, where have there been barriers? Um, is that what you said? Yes. Yeah. And I think um, one of my biggest barriers, I mean, this is a very personal barrier, is I tend to stretch myself too thin. So, you know, you talked about me. We talked about I was president of the equity community. I was president of, or I founded another nonprofit. Um, and because we had had some very significant events going on in the school district, so much of my time was going there and supporting families and advocating um, that I found that um, I, as I was trying to ramp up on my business, I was being pulled and stretched in a way that I wasn't being able to be as focused and intentional 
about the direction of my business that I wanted to go. Um, and so now in terms of barriers just around kind of our industry and so on and so forth, um, I think, you know, they're the barriers I think that we all face, right? And I think the biggest barrier I find is that um, to really, really, really have the outcome and results that so many people say they want to have is a fundamental transformational shift in the way we're doing things now. Mm-hmm. And most people don't want to really do that. Yes. Yeah, so let's let's talk. Mm-hmm. You you went there. You went there. I I see I'll it. always go there, Anthony. I'll always go there. Yeah, that's where we like to go. And, and so, mm-hmm. I think yeah, as we think about the work that we do, we t- we talk about that a lot. And so you mentioned you had this time where you could pick and choose, and you could walk away from organizations who who truly weren't ready. So now we're in this space today where, you know, the work we do is the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in the space as a, as a, as a woman walking on this track as well. How are you managing that with, with this fight, with this ability or desire to, to fire employees who really aren't ready for, for this human centered work? Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honestly, I'm not doing anything different. Um, he, I, here's what I try and do when, when I'm first talking with a client, I um, mean, we're having a conversation um, now Joy's going to laugh at this because I, I am a middle-aged white woman, which means I am Brene Brown's target demographic. <laughs> so I have, I, I know who I am and I own it. And Brene Brown says, um, clear as kind. And I really do try to be clear. And I really try to set the expectation that here's what we're going to ask of you. And here's what you're going to get from us. When you get a report from us, we're going to tell you the truth. And um, and so I try to be really clear from the beginning. And sometimes, you know, right away, people are going to be like, eh, I don't yeah. know if I'm going to be sure of that. And other times people are like, oh, yeah, that sounds great until they get the truth yeah. and, and so on and so forth. Um, but I try to just be very, very clear all the way along. And, um, and, you know, people can, you know, choose however they want to feel about that. They can choose about that. Most of the time, though, most of the time, especially with whoever your direct people you are working with, most people do want the outcomes, even if they either don't want to change kind of the way it is or feel disempowered to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the best ways I can be respectful and honor their worth and value is just to tell them the truth. Yes. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that sounds great and easy. There's really hard conversations mm-hmm. we have to have in this business really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are, are you finding Lonnie, So a lot of the ones we've done assessments on, I don't think they were, our client was shocked at the truth that came out. It doesn't mean it didn't hurt, but Mm -hmm, none of them mm -hmm. seem shocked. But yeah, when it comes time to take that next step and, and truly trans, you know, make transformational change, it seems like there's still this huge resistance, like clawing at the old way. Like you almost feel like, see like nails, like pulling on it. Like, well, yeah, we want to do something, but let's just do this little bit here. Or as we call Mm -hmm. the check the box stuff, right? The, the, just the, the, the lip service stuff. Are you seeing a lot of that in the Northwest too? And if so, how do you deal with it? Yes. And I would just say more generally, like as human beings, there's a few things that are somewhat universally true. Doesn't mean we don't find individuals, but one, we fear change. We don't love change. Um, And when we report back, we're asking people to change. Um, And so this is where some of my business background really becomes useful and helpful is understanding change management, understanding how to work and guide people through change. Um, and it's also where really understanding human behavior comes into play. Um, and so 
that is that is one thing I would kind of comment around that. The other thing I would comment around is that whoever you're working with that is going to be tasked or is responsible for, you know, okay, here's the assessment, here's some of the solutions that we're providing to you. Usually in the organization, a person or a team of persons, if they have a TI, they're kind of given the, okay, go fix it, go fix it. And what you often find is disempowerment. Sometimes that disempowerment comes from within. So that's where I have to switch to coach mode. And how do I get somebody to feel empowered, to realize what they can control and what they can't control? Right. Let go of the stuff they're not being able to control and focus on what they can control. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you, again, you just have to be really clear that if you're pushing against a boulder that's not going to move, you either have to find a way to go around the boulder or you have to say, this is not solvable for me right now. And you have to help the person you're working with say, what do you want to do about that? Yes. And I, I think one of the problems we really have as professionals is that we have a hard time saying it, that we can't fix this right now. And sometimes we can't fix things. We can do everything we can to say, here is the issue. Here are the things we know that will help you solve the issue. But we can't always be responsible for that coming to fruition. And we have a really hard time with that. Yeah. And that that's tough, right? That That admission that either you're wrong because it's always this zero sum right wrong or we 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 literally don't have the tools but leaders typically don't like to 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 admit that and that becomes and let me give you a real life example so i just ran for school board i lost by 300 votes very very small very small margin in the discussion around school board i i have far more education, far more experience that's relevant, far more um, solutions that were offered with, with how we're going to get that done. I ran against an incumbent who has very high re name recognition. His family was a founding family you know, 150 years ago um, and who hasn't done a good job in the role. But most people don't know about that because who pays attention to right goes to school board meetings who does all that and so the the example i bring to you is that everyone's really worried that like i'm so upset and then oh my god you lost are you okay i'm totally fine what i was able to do was to say we have everybody really 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 upset about our test scores and our academic scores right and i was able to say here's a really solid plan about how we improve that it's evidence-based i you know in my potpourri of experience i've actually worked as a school social worker my master work focused in social in education we know that belonging is a key piece to increasing academic scores and by the way my school district something like 36 percent of kids felt like they belonged and that was the 10th percentile in the nation and you had people who absolutely refused and insisted that spending any time on culture, any time on belonging, any time on social emotional learning skills was valued, but they want academic results to change. Just so, talking so about I'm, it. I'm curious. Yes, talk you about sure you don't that. live here in Iowa? <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about this. Right. And so so the point my point being is that when people ask me if i am okay yes because one i got in the arena i stayed centered in values i stayed centered in integrity i brought solutions and i controlled what i could control and as practitioners we have to know when we cannot control other people's behavior and that's really hard because we're hired as the experts right yep. 
That's uh, uh, I don't remember the the song, but it was one of my favorite lines, and that's that know when to hold them, know when to fold them. There there really is a time for that. Uh, uh, My partner Joy likes to say, "When unicorns, when you start talking about uniforms, we we got to fold on that." Um, The gambler, yeah, those gamblers. Gambler, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to circle back to maybe it's not a a hurdle, um, but when I think about the time that you started. You're, you're decided to to segue out of corporate America around 2020, 2021. I imagine you got the same questions that we got or we often get. We started this work before before George Floyd. But what's the that's the flack that a person in your position has or maybe you haven't been receiving about, yeah, you just jumped on the bandwagon to do this work because you're a white woman and you can get in the door and make money. I'm not saying I, that, but that is a yeah, real yeah, conversation yeah, no. that happens out there. I don't get much flack for doing the, like, jumping on the bandwagon part. Partly, I think, because I was doing the work beforehand. I do sometimes get pushback for being a white woman in the space. Um, and here's what I, you know, here's my perspective on that. Take Anybody can take it for the way they will. If we want to make this these changes, if we want to fundamentally disrupt and undo our, all of our systemic isms, every single one of us has to do these work, this work because it's a systemic problem. But here's what I will say. As a white woman, that doesn't mean every space is mine to claim or every place is mine to do the work all the time. And it is dependent on me to listen And when I'm asked to take a step back or proactively take a step back, because I know um, that is part of my work um, and what I need to do in this space. And so, for example, in in my company, when we facilitate, we always co-facilitate with two people and there was always a person of color. I never facilitate with someone who's not a person of color. and so, and I definitely wouldn't facilitate, I wouldn't even go near a conversation on race unless I was just working with white people who were trying to work through their issues as white people relative mm-hmm. to race. That might be the one exception, but I, you know, everyone should be doing the work and you have to know, and that's not just true for white people or white women. When we think about LGBTQ, when we think mm-hmm. about people with disabilities, we all have to know when we lead and when we step back and when it's okay to claim space and when it's not. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about a lot, and I know uh, I've had deep conversations about this, but it's, uh, it's around centering the right people at the right time. And sometimes people that are in positions that uh, have been in power for a long time, whatever it is, power in their personal life or power in their professional life. They're the head of their household. They're the CEO of their company. It becomes the ability to step back um, and center those who are impacted in this space becomes a challenge because in corporate America, we're used to taking credit, right? We're used to having the mm-hmm. award on the back of our, mm-hmm. of our desk that says we did such and such. And, and um, when we're talking about this human centered work, that, that seems to be a challenge. And so I appreciated your perspective. Um, and yeah. Melanie does. We, I was in a session where you could you could feel that that room was connecting more with me at the moment, and she's like really comfortable at just you know what, Joy, I'm taking notes. Step back, go, you know, and not even didn't even have to say it. It just naturally yeah. happens so that that connection continued to happen. And so I do want to say, like you, Melanie does actually practice that too, because I think sometimes we can say it, but the actual practice of that, especially when you're sitting there like, well, I'm certified. Well, I'm this and I really want to do this work. That can be more of a challenge to do. But you also have to think about the impact and who you're working with as well, too. And so I would definitely say, like, I've actually experienced that where it's like, hey, like this person or like when me and Nick were in a session and there's somebody that is identifying more and they really have a connection with Nick. Okay, well, I'll, I'll step back a little bit. Let that happen. So yeah, well, I, we've had experiences. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Melanie. Oh, you're sure you can go? Yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. You I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't want to go in your refrigerator and eat all your food. So. 
when you come to my house, you went for it for eating some of my food. So at my house, you'll guess one time. When you come back, you got to get your own food. <laughs> well, and and what I appreciate about what Joy's talking about too, when we talk about facilitation and being in facilitation spaces, but this is also true. I've had this conversation. I'd love to hear what people have to say about this too. Is that also don't presume because you know most of my team are black men and women and many 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 of my colleagues in this space are as well and i also hear frequently i'm exhausted i'm absolutely exhausted at doing the work and this is doubly so on the volunteer side where they're not getting paid at doing the work of dismantling (laughs) things that i never created to begin with and so I'll offer another example with another co-facilitator of mine who's a black woman. And the the facilitation was going a certain way. And someone brought up that they just didn't understand why they couldn't say the N-word in a song. And it just took one second to see she was like, I don't have the emotional capacity like to be able to do this conversation right now. So it could go either way. It could be, it's really important for me right now as a black woman to lead this conversation. And it could be, this person needs to hear it from a white woman and I don't have the emotional capacity right now. And you have to have the self-awareness, you have to have the, uh, you have to get rid of ego, you have to be able to understand, you know, who you're talking to in the moment. And so, you know, that's really important, too, because you can't make an assumption or a presumption that that somebody wants to be centered in the moment either. And it's it's hard yes. because you can get it wrong a lot of the time. Yes. We, well, we've experienced that, right? We, we, we've been in sessions where something comes up and and I or Anthony or Joy will jump in for the rest of us because they know that trauma is there. Right. Yeah. We don't want to make someone and we made go mis- through it. Yeah. And we've made mistakes doing it. We made it. mistakes I mean, we do, too. But, but wow, it's yeah. it's uh it's nice to hear that because I, I know I mean I can think of a couple examples, you know, but Joy and I were doing a session and it's like, no, I'm gonna jump in and take we're gonna nip this in the bud. It's like I got this. And or she's done definitely it. has happened. Or where I was definitely it. like yeah. I, you know, as 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 the mother of a trans daughter and another, I actually yep. have two queer children. So like had some of the things that were coming up where I was just like, I'm in shock right now. Yeah. And having, having, having Nick be the person that kind of stepped in to like, yeah, Joy Joy doesn't have it to give right now. Oh, that's important. So, I'm, I'm, you know, we're talking, I'm glad you brought that up, emotional intelligence, right? I, I call it my layman's term, the bubble. How do I keep the bubble in my head from bursting, right? How do how I keep it? Um, and I appreciated that you mentioned, you know, that, you know, acknowledging your, your whiteness and where that matters in spaces, right? Because it's, a, it's important for all of us. But I also know that, you know, Melanie is a, a human being like the rest of us. You go to the store, you get up and go to the store. You want to go to the movies and spend time at holidays with families and things like that as well. And so how does Melanie navigate as an, as I'll use the word ally, but maybe that's not what mm-hmm. you use, but how do you navigate in Melanie's life as a practitioner in this space? Um, and deal with those types of personal hurdles that I imagine you're dealing with. Um, because I think other people need to hear that, um, that, that well, want to advocate and, and understand those types clarify, of situations. Clarify the question for me, the hurdle of what my identity is. Yes. And- right. So, so maybe you're having a challenge with, uh, I, I like to say uncle Jimmy in your family, you don't go to the holiday <laughs> parties anymore. Cause uncle Jimmy's upset about the work you do. Maybe you have colleagues that used to work at your Fortune 50 company that think completely different about Melanie today than they did before. Mm-hmm. What, what, any of those scenarios, but I'm saying, how do you deal with that? Because I, I imagine that's a challenge in your space, and I think some other folks could learn from that. Well, Anthony, try running for office. because <laughs> we, We've talked about it. Trust me. We've talked about the same one you ran for. <laughs> I'm telling you, the narratives people develop about you, and you're like – who is that person? Um, so yeah, I mean, I am. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're like, I didn't ask you a yes or no question. <laughs> so I will tell you friendships have changed. I've lost friendships. Um, not because 
a lot of the way that my values have changed because as I learned to grow into my own voice and stand in my own truth and power um, and have boundaries that have said this isn't acceptable. Um, you know, I, I remember this was a lot of years ago. I had a sister-in-law. She's not my sister-in-law. Um, her and my brother-in-law got divorced. But um, I was in my master's of social work at the time, and um, I was working with um, foster youth who were primarily children of color, um, who, you know, have seen the worst, worst trauma, poor, most of them were incredibly poor. Um, and my sister-in-law was calling someone a racial slur. And I just said, can you please not use that slur? And she said, oh, you mean like, and then just listed a whole list of racial slurs. And I looked at her and I said, bye. And I picked up my stuff and I left, which caused a problem for the next 10 or so years um, until they divorced. Um, and I could tell you 25 stories yeah. in my family and my friendships. And so first of all, I will say there's no one I, I can't give you some, you know, yeah. book that tells you exactly what to do. I think it looks different in different situations. Um, but I will tell you a few things I've learned. One, um, and I'm going to try and tell you in a way that doesn't sound all like self-helpy. Um, just call <laughs> it like you see it. Yeah, like, you know, And but the reason I say this is because, okay, self-care, that sounds so you have to find a way to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to find a way to step away from this work. Mm -hmm. You have to find a way that says, I don't need to be on for all people all the time because people are desperate to be heard. They're desperate to be listened to. They're desperate for somebody who has the courage to step out and advocate for them. Yeah. And once you show your community and your family and your coworkers that you're that person, there will be no end to the line of people who want something from you. And that's okay. That's beautiful that you've demonstrated, but you have to be able to say, I can't today. I can't tomorrow. I need, I am going I, and I'm really doing this. I'm going on a three week sabbatical in December by myself to a cabin in Montana without my family over Christmas. I am going to miss Christmas because it's the only time I can get. Mm -hmm. And I am turning off phones. I'm turning off Facebook. I'm turning off all this. But it's taken me a long time to say, I can do this. This is okay to do. The world's not going to come crashing to an end. I'm not that important. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so one, you have to take care of yourself. Two, you have to learn that there are different kinds of ways to be. And we, we teach this in our change agent workshop. There are different ways of being a change agent. And we often think of being the change agent as the disruptor. And I'm really good at being a disruptor. But sometimes it looks like the collaborator and sometimes it looks like the policymaker. And so there are different ways of doing that and give yourself permission that um, you can show up as a change agent in different areas um, and give yourself permission that the way you do it, the how in which you do it can look differently at different times. So what I mean by that is I always ask myself, what is the outcome I'm trying to achieve? What do I want to happen? And is what I'm going to do or say, move me towards that outcome or move me away? Which means sometimes saying someone to someone in the moment feels like what we should do on paper because that's what they teach us about allyship or something like that, but it's gonna blow the outcome, which is much more important in the long run. Mm -hmm. And so I run that question in my head 20 times a day is what I'm going to do or say, move me towards this outcome and objective or away from it. Because I could be talking to a client and there's 30 things I could correct them on. 
right? Absolutely. But, so um, those are just a few things that um, uh, that I am working, and I'm always working on them. I'm a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. So I've got a good question, but I, I want to pass it over to Joy because I, I think she's she's got a couple gems. She's going like this. She's going like this. <laughs> No, no, I, I just, I'm, I'm so glad we connected because I think it, we don't always get to talk to other practitioners in the space and have conversation about things that we are working on, that we're going through. What are your thoughts about this? So I love that both Anthony and Nick have kind of explored that today. We all have like, okay, Melanie, are you seeing this? Um, being in Iowa, we are definitely um, seeing fear, right? Like essentially, I, I was at a conference the other day and at this conference, some they had posted something about DEI work on the wall and like people committed and nobody was even going to write anything up there. Now, of course, on my turn, I'm like, hey, so you can't be in the space and not write on that DEI wall that you're gonna do something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so people didn't go do it after that, but just saying there is such a culture of fear right now, specifically, I think even as a nation, but then those of us that are in certain states, it's even higher. Would you have any advice for that as well, Melanie? And again, I, I agree with you on the self-help, I think, or self-love. I think that's so important as well. Thinking about the outcome. <clears throat> what are other potential ways that we can we can counter that culture of fear? Like fear that I'm gonna get canceled if mm -hmm. I say the wrong thing. I don't want to make a comment about Palestinian or Israel because I don't know who, what, and what about business mm -hmm. and all of those things. There's just so much out there right now that there that is fear-driven culture. And so how, and, and in our work, we're supposed to counter that all the time. Mm -hmm. But if we're honest, we, we deal with it too, right? And, sure. and so how, are, how are you addressing that? Or what would you recommend about things like that? Right. Well, there first of all, again. <laughs> yeah, there's that stack question. First of all, let's be very clear that um, by nature as humans, being motivated by fear is perfectly natural. So let's give ourselves a little bit of a break about that. But let's also be clear that beginning in 2016, we elected a president whose entire leadership style was to harness that fear and to move people by that. And that's something that leaders can do. It's not sustainable. It doesn't last long term. Mm -hmm lasting a little longer i think than most of us would hope but <laughs> it it um but that that is and but i bring that up because it tells you it illustrates how powerful fear can be mm -hmm. and how we can manipulate and use people in fear now what i will tell you one of the reasons why that works is because we also know and to answer your question or questions um we also know Neur the neuroscience, the way our brains are developed is that we are wired to belong. We need to belong to people, right? And so, and our social threat and reward system activates in the same way our physical threat and reward system works. So when we feel fear, one of the things that I often notice and I try and explore when I'm working with people through fear, are they fearing something um, that they identify? I'm a fear of the repercussion. I'm fear of that. Or are they fearing that they're going to lose their sense of belonging with a group? Mm -hmm. Right? So for example, we in the workshop that you and I did together, if you remember, somebody talked about um their church and how they're being ostracized in their church because they've been vocal about um, loving on LGBTQ people. So their fear is their sense of belonging and identity is tied within this church. And so what I would say is we need to find a way to move people through fear where they where we recognize an honor that they need to belong and they need to have their own sense of identity intact. So when I'm working with someone with fear, what I want to know is how do we connect them with other people who have the same beliefs that they do? We need to find another place for them to belong 
and to maintain their identity because otherwise what we're asking them to do, because I get frustrated, do not get me wrong. Again, I just ran for election. Do you know how, uh, how many times I was frustrated? Because I can't tell you how many times people said to me, I'm voting for you, but I can't wave a sign. I can't put this on my Facebook. I can't tell anybody because mm -hmm. this guy's father's um, sister babysat my dog when I was three. Like th these connections of, you know, I'm afraid to disrupt these connections within my community, right? And so it drove me crazy. And, but the thing is, is that we have to be able to realize that if fear is rooted in someone's sense of belonging or someone's sense of identity, you have to be able to attach them to another sense of belonging. You can't just say, well, go into your church. You tell them that gays are allowed to get married. You lose all your friends. And then, but thank you. Thank you for standing up. Yeah. And I, and I think I appreciate that because I think there's a balance there and I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to agree with you, but I'm going to, I'm going to split the hair a little bit in that I think there, well, we, as facilitators, we've learned the culture vulture versus culture sculpture, right? I, I think you're speaking to this. And if I'm, if I may, this group of people that the, there's this, there, this fear of not belonging makes them hush or be quiet. I think that's different from what, what we might call the culture vulture is those folks who have the same fear but it's not from a sense of belonging. It's from a sense of power. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I, this is, I am from a group of power and you're taking power from me now versus I, mm -hmm. I feel, do you feel me? They're, they're, maybe. Yes. A, a and, there, right? But what is power giving them? Mm -hmm. Control what? or a sense of belonging. You could say belonging. it's a sense of belonging. Yeah. Right. Right. Be, right. And so, you know, it, Look, we I wish we had five hours because know, nothing right? <laughs> nothing gets me going more than people <laughs> right. Nothing gets me going more than when people abuse power. And I do believe there's a different standard, and that's kind of got me into the whole school board thing to begin with. But however, if I can step out of that and put maybe a more neutral and a more trained um approach to it, the power gives people belonging. Mm -hmm. It gives them a place where they feel seen, where they feel heard, yep. where they are, whether it's real or not, they got this group of people around them who are accepting them in some way or another. Yep. The bully mentality. Mm -hmm. The bully mentality. So, so when we started mm -hmm. about geez, almost six years ago now, so we started actually as a recruiting firm focused on diverse recruiting. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that drew us to the belonging and the, and the Veritas model and the facilitation model was we were recruiting for companies and we realized pretty quickly that in good conscience, we could not send diverse talent to these companies. So they weren't ready. Right. So, so we, that's where we kind of made our shift. That's when we started making our shift towards more and we still do some recruiting, but, but really more towards the facilitation, the assessments. What was the model that led you to the belonging? Like belonging first makes sense. What, what, what kind of drew you to that model? Right. Well, first of all, I love hearing you say that because that's another thing I tell my clients all the time. You want to start with diversity, but I am telling you, you cannot hire people into this culture. You are going to hurt them and they are going to leave. Yep. So I, I love that, that you've noticed that. So what, honestly, um, I'm just a voracious researcher and I'm a voracious learner. So again, Veritas was certainly a component of that, but I had already, I have a master's in social work. So, you know, there was a whole bunch of research and again, focusing on education and focusing on students and youth and really understanding, again, some of the factors like, um, why do all the black kids sit together in the cafeteria? That book, if you remember that. So there was a lot and i'm really joy can tell you this i geek out and i nerd out on the brain and neuroscience so there's just been a lot of voracious learning about why do we behave the way we do and you know i'm really big on um you know 
how do we make sure that we identify solutions that will work? And I am not married to solutions that won't work. And so that whole journey just has really brought me to realize where kind of the core of our humanity is and how it's it's the driver for so many other things that maybe seem unconnected, our performance at work, our academic achievement as students. Um, but when we're not seen and heard and belong, that's the foundation for everything else. Of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Of everything. everything else. Yes, yes. That is that that might be a wonderful way. I don't know where we're at on time, but because we get lost on time, that might yeah, be a wonderful right. way to to kind of close out this yep. this wonderful session. Um, yeah. uh, you know, we've been hearing about you and I've been I've been looking forward to this this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, I'll say for me and uh, it's validating and in, in some of the in, in the work and the in the in the journey that we're taking and, and the it, even though we know we're in a different space than the Northwest, it validates the work that we're doing. And it val- and I, I hope that other listeners are hearing that uh, because you're providing tools and, 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 and thoughts that, that, that matter. So I, I thank you for that. Is there anything else as we wrap up, you know, that uh, any last nuggets that you'd like to share? I, I know I need to connect her with my wife as, <laughs> as, a, as a special education facilitator. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I just want to say thank you. I've heard a lot about the two of you, too. I think I'm going to try and get out to Iowa, and I'd love to meet you in person. We can have a, well, you can have a scotch. I just played along with the scotch, but I'll have something. (laughs) Well, my friend, my friend owns a whiskey bar here. Really beautiful, lovely whiskey bar. So if you ever come out, we'll go to the whiskey <laughs> I don't bar. Get to you, watch you, it. I still we yeah. were going to one time and our car broke yeah. down. We'd end up somewhere else, but um, I do. J- I do July, August, September. Yes. July, August, September. That's yeah, when you're going to come. That's where my wife has also, as a teacher. So yes, I got yes. to yeah. Scotland and Washington are equal. So. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I deeply appreciate it, and I love you know. I really think. Um, all these opportunities are a chance to learn and grow together. Um, and I, you know, whether we're we're talking on a podcast or not, I hope we continue to have the opportunity to learn and grow together. And Joy, thank you. Um, Joy is definitely someone I'm learning and growing with, and I'm so grateful to have. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're grateful to have you. We're, we're happy to steal her back. She was actually our first uh, placement as our recruiting firm. I was. <laughs> so, yeah. Even if she is Air Force and not Navy, you know. thank you melanie we appreciate it so much i knew this was going to be good and i was excited about connecting you and then again just love the coaching element that you bring into um, facilitation work and my part all of us believe so much in the facilitation method that i was like okay this is going to be a a magical connection so it really happened so thank you so much yes so a big shout out to our our uh, silver diversity sponsor rise to greatness also thanks to our friends community savings bank and tyler lincoln barnes dds uh we are really excited to continue on this is this is actually uh, i believe will be one of our first episodes of season two when it's released um so we uh love to hear from you hit us up and send your questions comments suggestions to info at top rank culture.com uh again thanks so much melanie this is really fun and and uh, as always, you know, we can always do a part one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> I can I can be your rotating, floating yeah, yeah. guest host. We'll do a live on out in Seattle. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that would be so fun. Yep. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, good Thanks, deal. everyone. Thank you for your time. Like, Thank listen, you, Melanie. Share. We'll be in touch, Melanie. Thank you for the work Thanks, you Melanie. do. Keep keep changing. Right. Keep making change out there. <laughs> yep. Take, Take care. care. Yep. Bye. Advancing equity is not a one-year project. It's a generational commitment. There are too few people in the world willing to be the domino. Too few people willing to take that fall.